Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast. And we're here at the end to watch David clean Farouk's clock. Mm, really? Clean his... Because it's a fight episode with fighting in it. Mm, no. Okay, well... We're talking about chapter 26. I didn't actually look up the chapter number. 27. Chapter 27. Chapter the last one. Uh, The final episode of season three of Legion, which is the final episode of the series Legion. And shed a tear with me for the show being over. It's over. It's over, you guys. This episode was directed by Noah Hawley and John Cameron, and it was written by Noah Hawley and Olivia Default. This is Noah Hawley's only directing credit in season three. Wow. Uh, it is John Cameron's third directing credit, and we saw him last two episodes ago in the Cinnamon Girl episode, which is the one where... Uh, this is childhood. Sid's childhood. Oliver and Melanie find baby Sid and raise her. This is Noah Hawley's fifth and also Olivia Default's fifth writing credit on this season. They don't always get paired together, but uh, they have a couple of times this season. Um, so they've written, they've both written five episodes and plenty of them. You feel, That's who made this episode. Sen- I feel a little sentimental. I feel a little wistful. Yeah. How about you? A little bit. Jen, for the very last time, every time I ask you something, I'm going to say, for the last time, do you want to take us through the beat by beat on this episode? I sure do. Words appear on the screen. This is the end. The beginning, the end, what it all means is not for us to know. It is for history to decide. All we can do is play the parts as written. All we can know is ourselves. We then see the Legion credits as a mobile above baby David's bed. We see David as a baby, as a child, as a teen, as a young adult, and shots of David's face throughout the series. In the present, David voiceovers Lessons in Time Travel Chapter Zero. David pulls something from his ear. It is a goldfish. He tosses it away in confusion and then pulls a ball of light from his ear. He drops it and it becomes a mace. Charles pulls light from his ear and as a bullet and loads it into a gun. On the bed, Switch cries out for her father. David says he's going to fix it and it will be over soon. Charles and David go to Farouk and find that there is two of them. They talk and young Farouk mocks David, so David attacks him with the mace and Charles shoots old Farouk. So there's a lot just in the first, like, 30 seconds of this episode. Yes, there are. What do you want to... I mean, like, take us through that. Yeah. Take us through your thoughts. Well, I... If you haven't watched this series or watched the episodes repeatedly the way that we have, you might not realize how significant the very first shot of this episode is. It's just trees. It's just trees. The sky... Stop acting silly. <laughs> it's just these skeletal trees, and these, of course, are the very first shot of the very first episode, are those trees. 
Then it shows a few these different shots. They show the leafy trees, which is from episode two of the series. They show the coast, which is where David and Amy played as children. Mm-hmm. They show uh, a stone staircase, which is the exit from where David was held in the pool in the first episode and rescue and where he first meets Melanie. Uh, we see the field, like the kind of tall grass that David and Amy run through as children. We see a big field that we saw in David's memories in the first season. And then we see flashes all throughout David's life, all of which are a lot from just episode one of the show. Mm -hmm. And then from various episodes of the show going onwards, right up until the, the like most recent season. And to like jump enormously out of order for our discussion of this episode, this episode ends with a shot from the first season and a song from the first episode. Yes, exactly. And we, like, we're seeded that at the first moment of this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're paying attention and thinking about uh, structure and the structural clues that were given, you know, you can probably figure out the song at the end based on the first shot of this episode. Because we end with Happy Jack, which is the song that we began with. We end with zooming in on the same baby, the same shot of the same baby that we started in. Mm -hmm. The second shot of the first episode of Legion is our last shot at the end of this episode. Yep, exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, this is the end, this is the beginning, this is, we're seeing that this is a cycle. This is exactly where we are at the very end of the series, is where we were at the beginning of the series. Yep. So it's all very, uh visually showing us the beginning and the end as well. So all the things that are written, the writing that appears on the screen, like this is the end, this is the beginning. Okay, so it's a cycle. And we know that that's like, again, by the end of this episode, we know if we hadn't figured it out already and there was lots of reason to suspect it even before this episode started, we know that David's life is a cycle. Sid's life is a cycle. The end of this episode is resetting back to the beginning of David's life because they've changed time. Mm-hmm. Because it's timey-wimey. Yep. What about the other things that are written? Like, what it all means is not for us to know. I think that's not... I think that's partly to the characters within this show, but it's really to us, the audience, is that we're not going to understand all the questions that have been asked throughout this show there's still questions that haven't ever been answered mm-hmm. and that like it feels like what it all means is not for us to know is like a statement of the thing that i've quoted noah holly saying a number of times throughout the, our show which is i don't need you to understand it i just need you to experience it yeah exactly we're just playing the parts as written yep and then that all we can know is ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that also, like, it's a statement of don't, like, the most foolish thing a person could do is, like, try to episode by episode, moment by moment, explain what is happening on Legion <laughs> and and what it all means. Like, that would be a ridiculously futile Ridiculous, exercise. wouldn't it, though? <laughs> so why would anyone do that? Why would anyone do that? <laughs> <clears throat> um... But that, 
also that like all we can know is ourselves mm-hmm. feels like not just a statement like it's a bit of a wink to the camera of like don't try to figure out this episode or this show too much yeah it's also advice for the characters within the show of like I said this, like, we have both said this a number of times, but someone recently reminded me of how we ended our second season talking about villains and heroes. And a lot of this season and the second season was about the characters trying to figure out who's the villain and who's the hero and who's the good guy and who's a monster. And there's, like, advice to the characters, all we can know is ourselves. If you're Sid, you can't actually know ultimately whether david is a hero or a villain or a monster but you can know who you are Mm -hmm. i feel like it's also a statement of like the noah holly philosophy that we've seen in this show and in fargo and in like it's the end result or it's one of the philosophical conclusions of existentialism all we can know is ourselves and that isn't a hopeless or despairing sentiment it's a hopeful one mm-hmm. that doesn't mean like radical cynicism the world is a maze and everything is despair it's like all we can know is ourselves so so there's hope in that and i mean you made a joke a little bit about like we do this podcast and we analyze the show but all we do know is what we think yeah. and we're just trying to kind of talk about our feelings and reach out to an audience to see if they feel it too and for people who are only going to watch say each episode once instead of (laughs) four times that we can point out a few little things that they could see but not necessarily say it means x because we sure don't know and we're not and all we can know is what we think yeah, that like the interpretation that we do on this show that we do in any interpretive practice is a subjective and personal, right? Mhm. Exactly. So speaking of what do things mean? Goldfish? He pulls a goldfish out of his ear? Yeah, I was counting Let's on speculate you. Speculate on that. Explain. Ooh, ooh, I have thoughts. I have totally have thoughts. Do you not have any thoughts? I have a few thoughts. My number one thought was that it's like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the Babblefish. Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that one. Um, go tell me your thoughts. Well, I mean, the goldfish is from the first episode of this season. Yeah, where it's like follow the goldfish or like find the orange fish rather. Which switch uh, duties is his salmon. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's representative of Lenny. Hmm, Because salmon is with Lenny. Lenny has been a bug in his ear, has been something within him all along. And David just takes it out and discards it. And I think that's how he treated Lenny. I think that's... uh, Yeah, it's heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. That Lenny has been... part of him from day one and he finds this bit of her still in him and he's just like what's this thing oh i'm gonna go for defeat farouk yeah because we don't get any lenny at all in these last two episodes i know she's just gone which is something we'll talk about in future i'm sure but i think this goldfish is our last remnant of lenny yeah I buy that. Makes me sad, though. Yeah. 
You mentioned um, we're so, I'm so scatterbrained about this episode. I apologize to you listeners, but you just said something we'll talk about in the future. How are we going to talk about anything in the future when this is the last episode? We're going to, for, like, let's make a statement of intent that we're going to do two more episodes after this episode, right? One recapping yeah. and talking about the season and one recapping and talking about the whole series. Yeah, absolutely. And in those, we will talk about Lenny Lots. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. It's okay. Yeah, I like I like that interpretation a lot, though it makes me very sad. Mm-hmm. David, in this episode, like we said about David in the last episode, like he's still, I mean, it's not really that still because it was just a second ago, but he's once again is like. People are a means to an end, to my end. And this is like remembering how he discarded Lenny. Mm-hmm. And how he doesn't, he pretends to care about Switch, but we saw last episode, he doesn't. When she's crying out, and he's like, it's okay, I'm going to make it all better. But like, are you going to make it better for her? From As far as you know, She's a time traveler. How will make, like, you can fix things for everyone else in your own mind, but you can't believe, he can't possibly believe that fi- changing the past is going to fix things for Switch. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the goldfish also can represent Switch because it's, she's the one who followed that goldfish. Right. So it does, I think it speaks to, like, his discarding of it and finding it in himself and just throwing it away, I think is like, He's throwing away all of his past things of his commune, Lenny, Switch, all those things don't matter. All that matters is using his light to defeat Farouk. Yeah. In this moment, that is all that matters to him. Yep. And so he's willing to throw everything else out. What do we think of, he also voiceovers in this first couple of minutes. Yeah, let me just quote exactly what he says, because I didn't do my recap. Um, Lessons in Time Travel, Chapter Zero. Who we were does not dictate who we will be, but often it's a pretty good indication. Time travel does not give one the opportunity to change oneself, but rather to eradicate oneself and allow something else to form in the wake of what once was. In this is a sort of grace or madness. Time... Oh, man. I, I, all of this is, like, I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I should point out, too, that in the middle of that speech is when he pulls the goldfish out and pulls the light out. So that speech is broken up uh, right in the middle of time travel does not give the opportunity to change oneself. He pulls out the goldfish, but rather to eradicate oneself. Hmm. So that definitely reinforces the idea that the goldfish represents a part of himself. Yeah. That he's eradicating. And that specifically the part of himself it represents is his connection to Lenny. I think so. Um, and that's like... I mean, this is the show... I don't know. Oh, is, this show, is this the show articulating the show's perspective on time travel? Or is this David articulating his opinion on time travel? Mm-hmm. What do you think? A little of both, but I think this is really just David talking. David definitely thinks that 
he's eradicating himself and rebuilding. Like, this is 100% what David thinks. Whether it's the show that thinks that is maybe, because it's it's definitely the conclusion that it comes to at the end, but I think it leaves it a bit open for whether things actually changed or not. I mean, and this is explicitly in this moment, this is a statement on time travel, but it's also like a philosophical statement on identity and continuity of, continuity of identity in general. Mm-hmm. Like, you often hear people say, you know, I'm not the person I was X number of years ago. And people say the, like, I personally think, uh, completely trivial and mundane Deta- but the the fact that like every one of your cells gets replaced so you're not the same person and i think like who cares really that your cells get replaced but lots of people do care yep and the idea of like do you change or do you destroy what there was and become something new mm-hmm. and why like there's a i like that David says in that there's some there's grace or madness and madness specifically I think uh, the idea that what used to be just disappears and something new happens Gabrielle named that madness for babies and lack of object permanence yeah like a lack of continuity between what used to be and what is now is a kind of madness Mm -hmm. but it might also actually describe what's real Mm mm-hmm And why is that grace is because the things that like the mistakes of the past don't necessarily have to control us. That is grace. Yeah. Like an actual second chance or fresh start or even like not a second chance, but like a break from the things of my past that threaten to control my future. I can eradicate that past that Mm -hmm. is grace yeah absolutely that is grace yeah that's a good call i really am compelled i really find this speech very very compelling Mm. do you think there's any significance to the fact that david gets a mace whereas charles gets a bullet for a gun i mean if if there is one i would say that it's david wants to get up close and bloody and like get his hands dirty and for and charles wants the thing done but he wants to have distance from it yeah absolutely so i guess i do think that (laughs) yeah and david's uh vengeance is enacted on young farouk charles shoots old farouk but david's vengeance is on young farouk but he because he's the one who is going to make the decision yeah, and it's interesting because David attacks young Farouk, who doesn't have a history with David. No, not at like, all. Like, if you're being very rational about it, young Farouk hasn't done anything to David. He's mm-hmm. done stuff to Charles. Yeah. At this point, not much, but he's done stuff to Charles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so David is very, we saw in the last episode, he, he's motivated by revenge, justice, justice. Like, he's actually motivated by revenge. Yeah. And what he's getting so. his revenge on is someone who hasn't actually done anything to him yet. Because he's thinking of time travel as preventative. Yeah. And so if time travel, time travel is preventative, then he has to kill Farouk before he can do anything. Though it's also 
fruit goads him into attacking. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we can say there's a reason, a rational or even an emotional reason why he directs his anger at one Farouk rather than the other. But the real reason is because Farouk goads him and David is impulsive. Yes, exactly. Right? And then Charles goes the other one. Like, as old Farouk says, I guess this makes us dance partners. Yeah, exactly. They, like, they don't really have a a problem with each other. No. Charles was convinced that young Farouk is a monster who needs to be destroyed. But if old Farouk is a different person from young Farouk, which I think he is. But Charles doesn't necessarily know that. Like, yeah. Charles is going off of what David said about him being in his brain, him being the monster, and etc. So he is going for someone who hurt his son. Yeah, that's true. I also think what I just said, I heard it come out of my mouth and kind of saw things in a new way. That the two Farouks, like, what a way of making literal the metaphor of he is a different person. Yeah. Like, I was saying a second ago, people, I was a different person years ago. But here we have that extremely literalized. Yeah. Right? He is two different people. Old Farouk is not the same person as young Farouk. Mm-hmm. Look, they are standing bodily next to each other and are not the same person. Yeah. And just like, also, just shout out to the makeup department for making them look very different. Yeah. Young Farouk looks younger, looks like not a ton younger, but like his hair is different, his makeup is done different. He just looks very different. You can <laughs> instantly tell which is which. Yeah. So, me- and it's, Makeup department, I think it is in order, makeup department and then acting, but the acting is also very different. Yes, yeah, absolutely. He plays him so much more unhinged. Yeah. Yeah. And like manic even. Mm Mm-hmm. And old Farouk is so restrained. Mm Mm-hmm. Even when he like laughs, it's a very cold laugh. Yeah. And young Farouk's laugh is so like... Unhinged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're very, very different. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. It is so well done. Yeah. So moving on, uh, back at Gabrielle's, Sid finds the Carries frozen in time, and the time demons chase baby David, Sid, and the Carries out of the house. But time is glitchy, and they can't escape. Carrie says his brain is spaghetti, and Sid says it's the end of the world. Carrie, male Carrie, comes up with an idea so that they can confuse the time demons if they merge bodies. Gabrielle calls them gods as she sees Carrie and Carrie merge. Female Carrie emerges from the wheelchair, brandishing her sword against the demons. On the astral plane, David traps young Farouk in his mind with all the doors of all his personalities yelling monster. Farouk tries to fight them off, but they surround him. Charles and old Farouk are on the white astral plane. Farouk pulls scarves out from where he was shot. Farouk <laughs> changes Charles's knife into a beer and produces one for himself. We get shots of Carrie battling time demons, her hair starting to grow white. Then Farouk, young Farouk, traps David in a straitjacket and mocks him, saying that he's a scared child, unloved and abandoned. David says that he's a good person who deserves love. When Farouk says, no, you don't, he sings, mother, 
by Pink Floyd, and Gabrielle sings back. All of the Davids dance and scream. Carrie fights and Sid fires her gun. David tears off his jacket and it turns into Farouk and David chokes him. So like, I don't have, to be frank, I don't have a lot to say about uh, Carrie and Carrie and Sid and Gabrielle and the time demons like throughout this episode. Mm -hmm. Basically, Carrie comes up with this idea of if it's two of us merge, the time demons will slow be slowed down. They'll choke on us because it's two temporal beings sharing the same space. Is that a good idea? Which I'm not even sure exactly, but it seems to work a little bit. And maybe them holding off the attack helps in the end. But yeah, there's not a lot to this part. Sid mostly just fires a gun. Gabrielle looks scared. Mm-hmm. Carrie fights. And we fla- keep flashing back to this. And like, I think from a TV story t- structure, there are things... I mean, I'll say things about it at the end. I have things to say when Switch appears at the end. But in recapping it, I don't know that I have a lot to say about it every time it comes back up. Same. Except maybe one thing, which is merging into two bodies, what we were just saying about Farouk and Farouk are two different people. And then here we have Carrie and Carrie becoming one person again. Mm -hmm. They have been two people and now they become one. Farouk and Farouk have been one person and now they, they become two. Also, Gabrielle calls them gods, which is something we heard a lot in season one. Yep. That their powers make them godlike. And Farouk, definitely his younger self, wants to be a god. Uh, so that's just a theme that goes on in this. Yeah. And I'm not sure if... Uh, In the end, is it true? Are they gods? Well, let's come back to that when we're talking the end, I think. Okay. I mean, because they're not gods, but Mm -hmm. Sid's right, like, I wish we were. Yeah. Uh, But I think there's things that happen right at the end that make us rethink this again. Yeah. I actually love... Farouk turning the knife into a drink to share. Mm-hmm. And his, like, weapons, war. Surely we have more imagination than that. Yeah. Like, this defusing the fight between Charles and Farouk. Yeah. I didn't expect it. No. He pulls the scarf out, and I thought that was going to be like, oh, no. But no, it's not. And I should have expected it. Because this is what Noah Hawley likes to do. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really like taking the knife. And even in the moment where he takes the knife, Charles, like, panics. He has a moment of fear when the knife flies out of his hand. And Freak just turns into a beer. Yeah. Let's have a beer and talk things over. Mm-hmm. I love it. Me too. Uh, there's a few things to point out in those scenes, which is um, him pulling the scarves out of his chest, like Carrie mm. producing scarves from his sleeve yes. in the first season. He did that. So this is kind of like a visual callback to the first season again. Um, the knife that Charles brandishes is the one from when he was a soldier. 
Oh, is it? I think. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm pretty sure that style of knife. Hmm, I didn't check that. Um, but when David traps the young Farouk, all the doors of his mind, he's in that room with all the doors, and they're all rattling. Yeah. And that sounds a lot like the teeth rattling. In season two, we had all that chattering teeth. Oh, and the doors rattling like really reminded me of those shattering teeth. Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know like if that necessarily means anything significant or just like there's a lot. This episode has so many callbacks. I'm inclined to think it's more just like callbacks and and echoes rather yeah. than some kind of deep significance. Like I don't think like oh that's what the teeth meant all along. No, no but that's all, that's just like. Hey, remember that we have been building this whole season. This whole series has been one big story. Yeah. And I really, yeah, I really enjoy all these little callbacks. So old David and Charles, or old Charles, (laughs) old Farouk, (laughs) old someone, old Farouk and Charles are fighting on a white astral plane and David and young Farouk are fighting on a black astral plane. Is there Mm -hmm. a significance to those colors? Because, like, from a, just a cinematic perspective, it's really handy that they are different from each other, so we can immediately recognize it. But is there more than that significance to those colors? Well, yeah, definitely. Um, well, I mean, just even all along, older Farouk used a white background, and younger Farouk, the first time we see him going into the astral plane, it's black. Mm-hmm. So we already had these colors associated with them. But I think it's as simple as good and evil as well. Older Farouk, younger Farouk is more on the dark side. New, older Farouk is on the light side. Even if we don't necessarily know that at first. Yeah, exactly. And even Charles and David. Like, Charles and David are fighting on the same side, but Charles is much more... I mean, like... Yeah, I don't know. David through seasons two and three has been like, is he the good guy or the bad guy? Is he a hero or a villain? Is he good or evil? And Charles through this show has been much more like he's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I want to come back to that a lot and complicate that people aren't good or evil on this show or in real life. <laughs> but we'll come back to that, I think. Yeah. All right. Do we need to talk about Pink Floyd? Yeah. Do we want to talk about it now, or do we want to talk about it like we usually do at the end of the episode? Let's talk about it a little more at the end of the episode, but let me just say now that, like, I had to look up, recapping this episode, I had to look up the lyrics for that song, because I was like, are those the real Pink Floyd lyrics, or did they, like, alter them to fit the show? Because it kind of fits the show perfectly. Like we said about Behind Blue Eyes, that felt like... Did they invent this entire show just so they could use Behind Blue Eyes? Because it fits so perfectly. There's something similar with this. So why does this seem to you to fit so perfectly? Well, the part that I wasn't sure about was when Gabrielle starts singing about Mother and that she's not, like, a comforting mother at all. It's like Mother's going to put all her fears into you. She's going to... Like, there's a little bit about keeping you safe and warm, but she's also... Not so much. And maybe we'll get into that when you read the lyrics, but... And that's like... Yeah. 
Gabrielle's fear is that she's going to put her fears into her baby, like has been from the beginning. And it's Mm -hmm. not so much, it's not quite as simple as I'm a mean mom who's going to put my fears into you. Like that's exactly what Gabrielle has been afraid of, Mm -hmm. is that she's going to make her baby afraid of the things she's afraid of, put her nightmares into the baby, give her baby uh, her mental illness, which she does. Yeah. I mean, like, give her baby her mental illness. I know that's not how things work. But, like, she's afraid that her mental illness is hereditary, which it is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, the visual of David tearing off his jacket, throwing it, and it becoming Farouk. Oh, that is phenomenal. Oh, that is brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I, was, I totally agree. It is one of the most striking and amazing visuals in this whole show. Yeah. Which has been a show of very striking and amazing visuals. Yep. That, like, Farouk isn't a parasite. He's a straitjacket. Yeah, exactly. And that it's interesting that a straitjacket... I mean... Because, like, a straitjacket both represents, you know, being stifled, but it also is an image of insanity. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a the visual lectionary of insanity. So it's such a striking image because it's like Farouk is what's holding David back, but also Farouk is what's making David crazy. Yeah. And David throwing that off is in some ways even better than David like breaking out of the coffin in season one. Because it's like he's throwing off his, uh, what has held him back. What has held him back is Farouk. And he's also like overcoming his mental illness. I mean, yeah, not absolutely. all of it, I would say, but symbolically, visually, it's about him overcoming his mental illness. Mm-hmm. That's such a striking image. Yeah, absolutely. I also, backing up just two seconds, the musical number, I said, let's talk about it at the end, and we'll talk about the song at the end, but the visuals of this musical number of like David in a straitjacket singing while a whole crowd of Davids are like his backup dancers yeah. doing. Uh, erratic dances in the background that's like amazing Mm -hmm. and also kudos again to dan stevens for like having to dance a whole bunch of different dances probably in front of a green screen just like good job man because they all like do different dances and when there's the three davids singing yeah and they are distinct and distinguishable yeah absolutely three different davids and they're kind of all davids that we have seen him be yeah absolutely and there's a, I want to say that's an image from the comics. I feel like I see one of our, the covers of our comics has three Davids back to back like that, but I can't put my finger on if we, on that exactly. Hmm, I don't know. Yeah. I okay. don't remember. You don't remember that? Okay. I'll look it up after this is done and see if I'm right. And what, one more thing before we leave this section, uh, I just don't want to go past without stopping on Farouk saying that David is a baby who is unloved and knows he is unloved. Mm-hmm. And that's why David loses. Yep. And it's, again, kind of true. As long as David is fixating on, I was unloved, I'm a good person who deserves love, this is like what he can't, what he is fixating so strong on, well, he's always going to lose if that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And what he loses is not just, like, fisticuffs against another mutant. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, like, his sense of self. Mm Mm-hmm. 
we should pause for a moment just to say there's uh these stories of adopted kids being abandoned by parents who didn't love them that is uh troubling mm-hmm it's I don't love it. It's being used kind of metaphorically and symbolically here, but actual people get adopted and their adopted parents love them very much and they are loved. Just because you're adopted does not mean you are unloved or unwanted. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that as a trope. Yes, absolutely. So I just feel like we have to call it out. Yeah, absolutely. That is a good call because, yeah, that's the truth in this world, in this David world, in this specific show. But it is an overused thing in TV, and it's not nice to people who are actually adopted. Yeah. So, like, David is a baby who was unloved and knows he's unloved, and that's holding him back. Or, you know, okay, sure. But that's not a truth of the uh, experience of adopted children Mm -hmm. or adopted parents. Yeah, exactly. Have to say that out loud. Anything else to say about this section? Nope, I'm going to move on. Go for it. Switch wakes up to the world rattling and the walls cracking. She retreats to the between space, including her bed. She spits out all of her teeth and hears the time demons approach. She surrenders to them, saying bedtime is here. She puts her headphones on and lies still. Her father touches her face and tells her, She has found the true meaning of time, and she wakes, fully recovered. He says that she has lost her baby teeth and replaced them with wisdom teeth. Charles and Farouk talk over beers in the white astral plane. Farouk tells how he loves the boy and was almost a father to him. He says he did not come to defeat David, but to aid him in his quest, that he has changed from the man he was. Meanwhile, Carrie and Sid continue to battle. Switch's father shows her how he's trained the time demons. They are in their home. He shows Switch her own body. He reveals that they are four-dimensional beings. He invites her onwards, but she has one more thing she wants to do. David chokes Farouk until Charles appears and stops him. Charles tells him that war is not the answer and they must each respect the right to exist. David is upset, and Charles talks to him about making things right, and they embrace. Farouk and Farouk talk, and old Farouk gives his younger self his sunglasses. He flashes through David's life, and young Farouk cries and thanks him. Remember? Okay, first of all. (laughs) Remember when I said that Switch's teeth weren't gone forever? Yep. Sure was wrong about that, eh? Yep. She looks terrible yep. at the beginning she of this. She looks terrible. She has looked terrible before, but like, again, makeup uh, yeah. looks really rough. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and then her father appears. And he says, she's learned the true meaning of time, an ocean, not a river. An ocean, not a river. What does that mean? Uncontrollable. Yeah. Yeah. If you know the ocean. Only flows one way for a river. An ocean is just everywhere in a giant mess. 
and it has currents and it has tides and like you can't actually control a river but you can you can dam a river dam a river you can for you can redirect a river like the river of time makes it seem like it flows in one direction and you can navigate it one way or the other and you can make it direct it into new paths Mm -hmm. but time as an ocean like you float on the ocean and it takes you uh, you know and like you can sail the ocean but uh no one can control it yeah exactly no one can hold back the tides no you can redirect a river but you can't hold back the tides Mm -hmm. tell you know venice that yeah uh And then her teeth, I like, cry. Mm-hmm. Her baby teeth have fallen out. She wasn't dying. She wasn't sick. She, her teeth weren't falling out because she was prematurely old. Yeah, or because it was the consequences of time travel. Her baby teeth were falling out and they're replaced by wisdom teeth. Mm-hmm. She was growing. Yes, exactly. I love that as like... Both for, like, I like to switch a lot and don't want her to be sick and dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also as a metaphor of, like, growth looks like dying. Mm. Interesting, yeah. It makes me think of Flannery O'Connor, who says that grace is pain. Grace changes us, and change is painful. Mm. We resist grace, according to Flannery O'Connor, because grace changes us, and change is painful. Mm-hmm. And we started this episode talking about grace and change. And here we have Switch leaving behind what she was. Like, that's painful. It looks like death. But it was growth and change and it's grace. And she's... That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. She's turning into something brand new. It's a complete metamorphosis for her. And she's like... You, you're not behind your screen. And so we realize that this whole time, that's the only way she interacted with her father. Yeah. Who isn't really her father. He's a four-dimensional being who just calls himself father, says father and daughter. I love that, too. The, like, who are you? There are many names for four-dimensional beings like us, but you may call me father, mm-hmm. and I will call you daughter. And I was like, <laughs> she thought I didn't care about him. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And it's, uh, it's such a beautiful ending for Switch. Mm-hmm. It is. It really is. And it doesn't matter that David didn't care about her. It no. wasn't about him. Yeah. It was about her discovering who she was in amongst all of this. Yeah, she has her own story. She's. This is like... Uh, all the talk about heroes and villains and who's the hero and who's the villain. We haven't really talked on this show. I think we've brought it up on uh, our other podcast way too seriously. And I've definitely brought it up in my classes. But like on in a work of fiction, the hero and the protagonist get, we talk about them as if they're the same, but they're two different things. And like, who's the hero is a question. David has been the protagonist, whether he's heroic or villainous. Always. But here we see that Switch has her own story that she's the protagonist of. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. That's what I'm getting at with all that rambling. Yes. She's not David's means to an end. Mm -hmm. She's the protagonist of her own story. And David was the means to an end for her. Yeah. Not the other way around. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I love, like, as a statement on, the, as kind of the philosophical perspective of the show, that, like, David's problem all along has been that he sees the world, like, he's blinded. Mm-hmm. He sees the world through his perspective and can't bring himself to believe other people are even real. And the show broadens that not only for the characters, but even for us as viewers. This isn't the world that we see, the story that we're told isn't the only story that exists or that's tellable. Yeah. Yeah. And this like digression into switch is suddenly the protagonist of a story. We didn't know we were seeing Mm -hmm. is like, because David's story isn't the only story even in this show. Yeah. So Farouk has been on David's side all along. Is that like, I don't do know we about believe all along. him? Not all along, but like most recently. Mm-hmm. Is that why he allowed David to come on to the start to the not starship, the blimp thing? Is that was that his modus operandi all along? All along this season, you mean? Yeah, I think so. He wanted to aid David in his quest. And what he wanted to aid David in his quest, and he understood that David's quest was to change the past and defeat past Farouk. Yeah. And so he wanted to, like I said a couple of episodes ago, that David was going to end by killing himself or erasing himself from existence, and he kind of does. Mm-hmm. But also Farouk uh, is kind of with his eyes open working this whole season to erase himself from existence because he recognizes himself as the villain. Yeah, exactly. And we've said through this whole season, why would they trust Farouk? They shouldn't trust Farouk. And I still stand by that. Yep. <laughs> uh, but here we have a reason at last, not only why, like not why Sid and company should trust Farouk because they still shouldn't, <laughs> mm-hmm. but why we, the viewers should see Farouk differently. Yeah. I absolutely adore this anticlimactic ending for Farouk. Hmm. That we're building all season to this, like, big dramatic confrontation. And then David fights. There is a big dramatic confrontation between David and young Farouk, but young Farouk is such a different character. He's not the one that we have invested story time in mm-hmm. and old fruit like sitting down and just drinking a beer with charles and being like look <laughs> i've changed well and frankly he's been saying that all along that he loves david that he has been a part of david and changed in that way but we didn't believe him we just assumed it was a trick or that but, he loved David in a sel- completely selfish way. Yeah, exactly. I believed him when he said he loved David. I just didn't f- believe that love to him meant what we want it to mean. Mm, yeah. You know? Like, I believed that he loved David the way that you love your favorite necklace. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, he thought of David as something that he possessed. Yeah. But I like 
also, Charles, it's hard to hate someone you understand. Mm-hmm. And that what changed Farouk isn't just like, it's more than just seeing David. It's being David. And so understanding him completely. And I buy that. I actually will buy that understanding someone, it is hard to hate someone you understand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's hard to understand someone you hate, Hmm. by the way. Yeah, (laughs) that too. We've had... We, the audience, and the characters want to hold on to the image of the villain. Mm-hmm. And because especially, this is everything we talked about, we brought this up in the end of the second season, but because superhero shows, which this apparently is, are like, there's the good guy, there's the bad guy. And we've talked, second season and third season especially, about the hero, the villain, the monster, big, giant, archetype, pure you know, good versus evil. Mm-hmm. The white background people and the black background people. I mean, we had we had that giant battle at the end of season two with like big green David and big red Farouk and they fought it out and... And that wasn't the end because that was an incomplete picture. It was. And what Noah Hawley has been, what the vision of this show has been from the beginning is like, that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Even in a superhero show. Uh, I Farouk isn't the villain because despite all the monstrous things that he's done, he's more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. He's a nuanced human. Despite his monstrous actions and his mutant powers. And David... Is, like, is he redeemable? Um, maybe... Because maybe everyone is, and maybe not because maybe no one is. Mm-hmm. And his naive innocence wasn't a trick any more than his, like, bloodthirsty indifference was. They're all just part of him, and people are complicated. Yeah. And Farouk understands him. I, I love this ending. Yes, absolutely. And the, like... Well, and all that it takes to change young Farouk is to show him David's entire life. Yep. And to have him understand what happened. That's all it takes, is understanding. And he says, thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, thank you for showing me this. Not just, I understand now, begrudgingly. I am glad to understand this, because... This is, like, the opposite side of Grace changes us and change is painful, but Farouk has changed and... The tears maybe indicate that it's still painful, but it's worth it. Yes, exactly. I love to love Charles to David when David is choking Farouk. I'm like, David choking Farouk uh, is like David has both internalized and externalized his demons. He's like going to strangle his past. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then when Charles says, war is not the answer, it's the problem. Yeah. Well, that's more than just, like, what you said is war isn't the solution. Uh, and I really like the next half of that <laughs> war in the show. The war isn't the answer, it's the problem. It's the problem. Like, that is, to me, I think we may have brought this up before, but, like, I am a... 
pacifist mm-hmm. because I think that that's actually true mm-hmm. in like literal reality. Yeah. You don't solve war by war. But even metaphorically, in terms of, like, Farouk is tired of discord. <laughs> yeah. I love this ending mm. for Farouk and David and Charles. And Charles and David have this whole conversation about, like, where Charles is just like, you're my kid, and I don't know, I can't imagine becoming the kind of person that gave you away. Yeah. You know? Yep. But all I can do is make things right, right now. Yeah. And as you said, there's questions that we don't get answers to. We never get an answer to. Why did he? Like, we yep. assumed in season one, David assumed in season one, like, maybe to protect me. Mm-hmm. And that's what Ch- Charles never gets. He never, we never get more of an answer than that. At the yep. end, Charles is like, must have been to protect you. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And I like, too, I actually like that we don't get that answer because the answer doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, what happened in the past, it's a different way of framing the same thing without the war part of it. That, like, Charles is also uh, symbolically choking his past. Yeah. <laughs> like, except not choking. But, like, I can't imagine being the person who gave you away. All I can do is what I can do now. Let's move forward. Mm-hmm. Speaking of moving forward. <laughs> In Gabrielle's house, Carrie is now gray-haired. Switch blows her dog whistle and all the demons stop and then disappear. She tells them that the universe acknowledges them and their suffering has meant something. She tells them the past will change and everything will be new. Farouk and David talk and shake hands, and the world turns white. Switch goes back to the in-between space, ready to move on. Sid sits with Carrie and says she looks wise. Carrie and Carrie see a memory of their childhood, and Carrie calls Carrie her brother. Charles returns home to Gabrielle. They discuss what has happened to them, and them and David, And she says David needs them both. He says he wants to be a teacher. (laughs) Sid stands over David's crib, and then David comes to stand beside her. David says she'll be extraordinary without him around, and Sid says she likes his mom. (laughs) We end with Sid saying, be a good boy, and Happy Jack plays. (sighs) So that's the end. That's the end. After defeating, after, like, the the fight between Charles and Farouk and David and Farouk ends anticlimactically with let's not fight after all. Mm-hmm. Then we flash to the other story that is happening at the same time that we haven't had, I said we didn't have much to say about. It's like, I like that this comes after the main conflict has been resolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's what we've heard before on this show. In the end, time is the enemy. Yeah. And this, this is time is the enemy. Farouk wasn't the enemy. Yeah. And maybe time isn't an enemy either because I... And then Switch appears. And what she says, okay. I want to read... You read the thing at the beginning. I want to read exactly what she says. Mm-hmm. 
She says, Sidney Barrett, Gabrielle Xavier, and the infant David. And I'm going to interrupt myself already to say, poor Carrie. I know. The world doesn't acknowledge your suffering. I'm annoyed with that. Anyway. Anyway. I don't I don't have an explanation oh. for why. And just another side note before you get into this. This is the first time we say that her last name is Xavier. We ne- oh. we've never actually acknowledged that this is Charles Xavier and Gabrielle Xavier until this moment. She's wow. We yeah, you're that's amazing. Charles, if you know who Charles is, but now Xavier. Huh. Okay, anyway. The universe acknowledges you, that you exist, and your existence is important. I can see that you've suffered, that people you love have suffered, and you want to know that it meant something. It did. It does. Nothing of value is ever lost. And then they talk to each other a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. But I like this, like, you want to know that it meant something, it did. And that her role here, she has a a few roles, but in saying it did, like, this is what Farouk said to Charles. Like, what a privilege to see and to be seen. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was true. And here, Switch is like, I see you. Yep. That's all I'm going to offer you, and, and Sid is... Very, like that you can see in uh Rachel Keller's performance like Sid is moved by that mm-hmm. as she should be yeah exactly what does that mean nothing of value is ever lost I like spent as you know I spent a while googling that and looking through the past episodes of legion it sounded so familiar to me and i was like did we ever hear that on screen in a previous episode of legion and as far as i can tell we didn't it is possible i missed something but i did look pretty closely and when i google it all that comes up is this episode (laughs) of legion Hmm. you google the phrase nothing of value is ever lost and you get the final episode of legion but it sounds so familiar to me Mm mm-hmm what does that mean? I think it means that despite the fact that they're like starting a new timeline, they're in real time, they, their uh, contributions will not be known, but the universe that exists out ta- outside of time, the four dimensional beings that exist outside of time, recognize their sacrifice and their contribution. So they're nothing what they've done is valuable and it's not lost even if they change time it's been valuable because it's changed time and this is what like david says time travel uh destroys what's the word he uses eradicate eradicates the past self eradicate oneself and we can kind of deduce that that means eradicates the past eradicate Ooh. like david says everything's going to be lost yeah. in his voiceover yeah exactly and switch says nothing of value is ever lost mm-hmm. and that's both i mean that's kind of what uh we see in the astral plane with oliver and melanie too mm-hmm. yeah the lost things go to them 
lost things go to them. They're not gone. Yeah. And things like a sock that Oliver scrounges for, like, that is funny at the moment. And even in the moment, there's some pathos in that. Mm -hmm. But here we see it, I think, reframed. Nothing of value is lost and it goes somewhere and someone cares about it. Yeah. And that's Sid and that's, uh, what's her name's Innocence? Uh, in the, on that episode, I can't remember her name. The redhead. Anyway, Cynthia? Cynthia? I want to say Cynthia. Cynthia's Innocence isn't really lost. Nothing of value is ever lost. Mm-hmm. And that comes back again to Switch, like, I see you. What a privilege to see and be seen. Things aren't lost because someone remembers it. Or even if no one remembers it. Yeah. I mean, it's also a statement of what is valuable. Maybe. I think Switch remembers it. Mm-hmm. And I think this entire show could be narrated by Switch in a mm. way. There are narrated parts throughout the, this entire show. And if we erase the, like, whoever voice it is, it could be narrated by Switch. And if she's a fourth dimensional being whose body was just a shell, she can her voice can sound like anything she wants it to. Exactly. It could even sound like John Hamm, for example. Probably does. The you, you are now will die. But what you will be is glorious. Mm-hmm. She says to Sid. Yeah. And that's also like this acknowledgement that nothing of value is ever lost and yet death is real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's she little... doesn't sugarcoat it. She's not saying like, no, you're not going to die. You'll remember it somehow. No, she is. This is her dying. But she's dying for a purpose and she is uh, doing a glorious thing in that death. You know, it suddenly occurs to me why that nothing of value is ever lost sounds so familiar. It's not the words, it's the idea. And you know where I know that idea from is the Little Prince. Ah, yes. That's like the core idea of the Little Prince. We did, in our other podcast, Way Too Seriously, we did an episode about the movie version of the Little Prince. And the, uh, the core phrase in the Little Prince is what's essential is invisible to the eye. Mm-hmm. And in the book, Little Prince especially, like, people die, but they're not gone because what's essential is invisible and only the visible dies. Mm-hmm. And that's what Switch is saying here. Yeah. The you that's you will die, but what's nothing of value is ever lost and the essential is invisible to the eye. And then after all of that, Carrie says, what just happened? Yeah. And that is also a statement of intent for the show. Yeah. And since I think we just saved the world, but... Uh, Excuse let... me, Sid. I don't think you can quite take credit for it, but okay. No. Uh, can we just take a second to talk about the carries? Please because do. Because here we are at the end of the carries, and we'll do a whole series wrap-up on the carries in general, but we get, like, carry female Carrie grows old yeah. somehow because she's fighting time, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so basically she's older than male Carrie now. And they remember their childhood. There's like this, this flash of 
the childhood we've seen in the past of like them with the train and they're separate again she calls him old man and he's like you can't call me that anymore and she says brother and it's like they're finally brother and sister which was what they have been all along i know they're siblings they're twins they've this is what they are and she's finally caught up to him so they can be this together and they could they i mean they're ending right now this is where they're ending and who knows what's going to happen in the reboot or whatever but this is the end for them that they've caught up with each other yeah now they're the same yeah and i really love it i just i don't know what else to say other than like it's a really satisfying ending for the carries i think it's a beautiful ending for the carries i agree and that part of the and part of the appeal of them as characters is that they've been like the opposite and yet the same mm-hmm. but the ending brings them together yeah so now they're not the same person they're brother and sister and now they're not opposites. They've learned from each other. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. I think it's beautiful. I agree. Um, I also really love the scene, Charles and Gabrielle, Charles returning. Yeah. And uh, they, it's almost like they were listening to what you were saying last week, which is uh, this child doesn't need just like a mother's love, a mother, a mother. She needs... David needs both of them. Mm-hmm. David needs both Charles and Gabrielle. And Gabrielle says that outright, like, we both, we need you. This child needs... Both of us. He needs both of us. And then Charles is like, I'm going to start a school because, of course. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't look straight at the camera and wink when yeah, he said that. exactly. I've always wanted to be a teacher. Maybe a professor? <laughs> wink. I think it was a little much. It was maybe a little much. (laughs) But I totally... It makes me think, like, what you said about they were listening when I said the mother's love isn't enough is, like, I was unsatisfied by that, but this ending makes me rethink. I shouldn't... I think it's a mistake to put too much uh, what a character says as what the show is saying. Mm, Yes. So Sid thinks there's nothing more powerful than a mother's love. That doesn't mean that she's right. Or yeah. that that's what the show thinks. Yes. And the show ends with, David needs a mother and a father because Gabrielle can't do it alone and needs Charles and Charles can't do it alone and needs Gabrielle. And like, the show doesn't actually endorse in the end. Uh, a mother's magical mothery love is the motheriest thing in the world. Yeah. Like, a baby needs parents who love them. Mm-hmm. And that does, you know, that's a stronger ending. Yes, exactly. People need support. And yeah, Gabrielle, and people Gabrielle, need support. Gabrielle needs support. Charles needs support. And David needs the support of both of them. And yeah. like, I'm not saying like, every child needs a mother and a father. But we are saying that David needs... More than just Gabrielle, (laughs) because Gabrielle cannot handle it. I really, 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 really like what you said a second ago about everyone needs support. That Mm. that's a better, that's even better way of putting it. That this show does not end by saying 
a child needs a mother and a father, it ends by saying everybody needs support. The baby and the mother and the father and any other parents there might be. They need support. Yeah. And Gabrielle, where everyone she knows was lost. Yes. All of her family is gone. Yes. She needs more people in her life when she has a child because she doesn't know how to raise this child without others surrounding her. No. Oh. Which is a strong statement on the global village of people helping other people with children. Yeah, I don't think, to just reiterate, I don't think that the end of the show, and certainly I don't think myself, that this is like, single parents are invalid. No. I think it means everyone needs support. Yeah. I like that way of phrasing it so much that now I've repeated it like six times. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you like my point when you like have to repeat it a bunch of times. (laughs) Um, So I also like, can we talk about the last line or do we know I'll lead up to the last line? Go. That the last line of the show is Sid saying to David, be a good boy. And that is... A repeated line from Amy said that, or his mother said that. We heard that in voiceover in season one. We did. And there's a few of these moments of repeating lines that we hear from presumably David's mother's mouth. David's like adoptive mother's mouth in the first season. And now it's just like, where do those lines come from? Yeah. And like, I think again, the metaphor of the show, this is a specific show about a specific individual whose name is David Holler, who has magic powers, I mean, mutant powers and does all kinds of stuff. But the like, it's also, if the statement at the end is everyone needs support, the also statement is like, be a good boy. You need help to do that, but also it matters whether you do or not. Mm-hmm. You know, every individual is a world. Yeah. And uh, it really matters Mm -hmm. what kind of love and support and opportunities to be good they're given. And that be a good boy is maybe in some ways the anti... uh, The opposite of what I keep saying is this show is does not like there's good guys and bad guys, but it's not be a good guy. Mm-hmm. And like, be the good guy. So be a good boy. Be a good boy. Um, do you want to speculate wildly on <laughs> what would happen to David if Farouk wasn't in his head? What? In the sense of what, how he's going to grow up now? How is he going to grow up now? If... Charles and Gabrielle are going to raise him. Which, side note, do they remember all of this? Charles and Gabrielle? Yeah. Or does time reset to, like, they don't remember this? I think Charles and Gabrielle remember this. Yeah. Because they never went into their own past. No, this is all just happening to them. This is all just happening to them. Yeah. 
Charles didn't do any time traveling. Right. Gabrielle didn't do any time traveling. Only the people whose native time is the future of this are erased. Yes. Because this is the present now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So they they remember all of this. Yes. So they can raise David a certain way. Yeah. They know that he's mentally ill. Or that, yeah. That he has, well, that he has mutant abilities and is, like, has multiple personalities that may or may not manifest, but might. Just because Farouk isn't in his head, isn't he still going to have that schizophrenic aspect? I mean, this is a thing since the beginning that slowly spooled out in the first season. And I think where we end is like, there were three different things going on. David had hereditary mental illness, psychic powers that mess with his perception of reality, and trauma. Yeah. We've erased the trauma. But the other two are still real challenges for him. And I think the many Davids, like, I think that is his psychic abilities and his mental illness combined. Yeah. I don't think the many Davids have anything to do with Farouk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely not. So, like, in this new timeline, David is still Legion. Yeah. But he'll have uh, Charles. If Charles doesn't give him up... He'll have Charles as his teacher for how to deal with psychic abilities. He won't think that he's hearing voices. Yep. He'll know that he's reading minds. Yep. Instead. Or hearing his own voices. Who even knows? And he'll have Gabrielle to teach him how to cope with mental illness. Exactly. And even if the way she copes has been traumatic for her, it's better than having no one. Yeah. So I think he's going to do better. I think he's still going to have hard time. Yeah, exactly. But I think he's going to do better because he has people who support him now. It's really good. It's good. And how is Sid going to grow up? (sighs) I mean, presumably crappy. Yeah, that's what I wonder. Has she lost what she learned from Melanie and Oliver? I don't know. And without David, all her life until the mental hospital stays the same. Yeah. Which has a lot of trauma in it. It really does. But maybe somehow resetting it will reset that and she won't make those decisions. Maybe. And maybe nothing of value is ever lost. Maybe the you that was you dies, but the things that she learned from Oliver and Melanie and from her life change her. Yeah. And that isn't lost. Let's I want to believe that. That Me she doesn't too. necessarily remember her life with Oliver and Melanie, but she carries something forward. Because nothing of value is lost and that actually matters to her, not just to the universe. <laughs> he said as if he's proclaiming some kind of truth. <laughs> Let's pretend we are. I am a big fan of happy endings. I know. So you are. I want everything to be happy for everyone. <laughs> Even though that's not the kind of show this is, like, at all. This is not really a happy ending. They all die. Yeah. But it restarts somehow. Yeah. I think it's a happy ending. 
It's a bittersweet ending yeah. at best, but I think it's a happy bittersweet ending. And can I also just say that when Happy Jack started playing, I cheered because <laughs> yes. I partly because I knew it was coming and it was so satisfying and it was so and I of all episodes of Legion, I've watched episode one many times, the most out of any episode. And so to have Happy Jack come back is like, oh, Happy Jack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this episode as a whole just really brought home a lot of things. And there's still a lot of unanswered questions and they didn't solve everything. And like, you, I guess like, what happens to Lenny? What happens to Clark gets reset? Like all of those things, whatever, I guess that just, we don't care. Mm. But this whole episode as a whole really brings together a lot of pieces from the entire show. And it is in the end, it's a satisfying ending. It's a, it's a full ending to the, to the series even if it doesn't answer all the questions and I'm satisfied with it on some level. <laughs> I mean, like, and it's what I think it is more than anything else is a hopeful ending. Mm-hmm. That even though things are race and like, I said I would be very unsatisfied if it was all a dream because nothing would have mattered. And in some ways a cycle, uh, has the same problems as a dream where like we're back where we started so nothing mattered at all except that things did matter yeah and they mattered a lot because they mattered to the people they happened to and those people are real and like and what switch said about the universe sees you but also just like the things that happen matter and things can be better Mm-hmm. And we can overcome discord and war and trauma and love each other and support each other. Like, it's a happy ending because it's a hopeful ending. Yeah. Not only... every Not everyone gets a satisfying resolution. But even the people whose resolutions we don't see are included in that hopeful ending. Yeah. Like, I guess, uh, Clark's never going to get burned. And Potonomy's never going to go turn into a robot. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Somehow, my notes page has disappeared. Oh, no. And I can't find it. Oh, no. But I'm ready to talk about the songs anyway. Because I remember what they are. Yes. Do you have anything else to say about this episode? I would love to talk about the music. Oh! David's shirt is a, like, star field. Which, I don't know if that means anything significant other than, like, it's like the astral plane, kind of. Hmm. But I noticed that. And what did the stars say? Speaking of questions we never, ever, ever heard the answer to. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i cared a lot about that in the first season and i just do not care anymore <laughs> no yeah agreed there are mysteries you don't get answers to and some of them you don't need answers to it turns out so let's get into the songs so the most uh 
impactful song in this episode, of course, is Mother by Pink Floyd, but sung by Dan Stevens and Stephanie, uh... Cornelson? Cornelson. When I lost my notes page, I lost her name, which was in my notes. Um, so Mother is a Pink Floyd song off their album The Wall. Uh, the lyrics go... Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? Mother, do you think they'll like this song? Mother, do you think they'll try to break my balls? Mother, should I build the wall? Mother, should I run for president? Mother, should I trust the government? Mother, will they put me in the firing line? Is it just a waste of time? And then Mother answers, Hush, now baby, baby, don't you cry. Mama's going to make all your nightmares come true. Mama's going to put all her fears into you. Mama's going to keep you right here under her wing. She won't let you fly, but she might let you sing. Mama will keep baby cozy and warm. Of course, Mama's going to help build the wall. And there's another verse. I want to talk about this verse first. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the context of The Wall by Pink Floyd, it is not that different from the context of David... And uh, on Legion, but in the context of the wall, like the wall is a whole narrative. There's a movie that goes along with it. And the wall is the main character of the wall is Pink, who is building a wall to protect like a a wall to protect his feelings, Mm -hmm. to keep him safe from the world outside. Yeah. And so in Mother. He's saying, Mother, should I build the wall? Should I? keep myself metaphorically protected from the world and safe and walled off. And uh, mother says, yes, of course I'm going to help you build a wall. The mother character in the Pink Floyd song is overprotective. um, And yet, despite that, like, she's not doing what's best for baby, for Pink, she's well-intentioned. And I, I think the song, despite having, like, quite heavy-handed, you know, Mother's Gonna Put All Her Fears Into You and Make Your Nightmares Come True, mm-hmm. uh, we also have that right next to, like, Mama Will Keep You Cozy and Warm, and it's so, uh, it's sung so gently. There's, like, about uh, overprotectiveness that comes from good intentions but and but does harm to the child and does harm to the child specifically by encouraging them to protect themselves from the world you know by -hmm. building a wall and walling things off yes absolutely and david has not been overprotected by his parents that is not gabrielle's problem that she was overprotective no but he has built a wall to separate himself from the people around him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's like his whole thing about he doesn't he sees people as ends rather than as people. Like his solution to David's evilness problem <laughs> mm-hmm. is to like connect with people and see them as people. And Charles in la- the last episode says everyone's someone. And so the idea here that Mama helps him build a wall to wall himself off from the world, that is part of David's problem. Yeah. And she doesn't build the wall in David's life by being overprotective, but she does help him build a wall. Mm-hmm. And then the second verse, 
Mama, do you think she's good enough for me? Mother, mother, do you think she's dangerous to me? Mother, sh will she tear your little boy apart? Mother, will she break my heart? Hush now, baby, baby, don't you cry. Mama's going to check all your girlfriends for you. Mama won't let anyone dirty get through. Mama's going to wait up till you come in. Mama will always find out where you've been. Mama's going to keep baby healthy and clean. Baby, you'll always be a baby to me. Same exact thing, like it's about overprotectiveness, specifically now in relationship in relationships and with a strong, strong undercurrent of like sexuality. Mm -hmm. So Pink grows up and becomes a teenager or a young adult or an adult and discovers sex and his mother wants to keep him clean and keep dirty girls away from him. Yeah. But this is also like in the context of this whole season of David is... You know, is Sid good enough for me? Is Sid dangerous to me? Will she tear your little boy apart? She kind of does. Exactly. And they're like, will she break my heart? Will she... She... I mean, in some she versions, literally she literally him. takes him apart. Yeah. Right? Uh, and it's, again, it's kind of the opposite for David of what it is in the song. That it's not because of overbearing and overprotectiveness. But the result is the same. He doesn't trust, uh, and he hasn't earned trust because he hasn't shown trust. And he thinks about whether Sid is good enough for him or dangerous to him, rather than, as Sid says, whether rather than caring about her. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the song, the... Like, this song is super, in some ways, super appropriate, and in some ways exactly the opposite of the situation of yeah. this show. But he comes to, the, but then, the very end, you'll always be a baby to me. And then the last line of the song, mother, did it need to be so high? That it refers to the wall. Yeah. Right? Did the wall need to be so high? Did the wall need to be so high? And it, after singing the song, he has gotten, like, he throws off the straitjacket because he's not a baby anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, by the end of the song, what we, my interpretation anyway, is Farouk says, you de I defeated you because you were a baby who didn't, des who wants love and knows he doesn't deserve it. And then he sings this song and throws off the straitjacket mm -hmm. because he's not a baby anymore. Because this song is like a therapy. He goes through his uh, issues <laughs> yeah. and comes to the other end of it. And he connects with his mother in the song on the astral plane. I think Gabrielle like, actually connects with him here. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. And if she is not able... like, If the things that she says as mother are not great, <laughs> because he's being hurt by the opposite... It still, like, uh, strengthens him to think that someone's going to be there and be with him and protect him. Mm-hmm. And that tears down his wall. Yeah. I mean, I think. Mm. <laughs> the other song that we hear is by the beta band. It is called Al Sharp. That's the song that plays in Switch's headphones when she puts on her headphones when she thinks she's dying. And then her father appears, and then she takes off her headphones, and we really see that the song was playing in her headphones. It wasn't in the... like, it was diegetic. Uh, 
it existed in the world. Anyway, that song we don't hear very much of, and I'm not going to read all of it. I'm not going to read the parts that we don't hear. But is it because I'm beside myself with love that I can't say these things to you, honey? Or is it because I'm beside myself with guilt that I can't say these things to you, honey? You and me will never be far. You and me will never be fine. You know I never even tried to smile. Is it because the life beyond my heart was taken out for good? Al Sharp's got the money. Or because the Power Ranger robots in disguise have called you to war, honey. You and me will never be fine. So, like, the robots in the lyrics are obviously where this uh, is especially a uh, callback to um, Switch's life. Yeah. The robots in disguise. Um, but it's also like, is it because I'm beside myself with love or beside myself with guilt? You and me will never be fine. Is playing while her father is beside her with love and no longer with guilt. And then they are fine. Mm-hmm. And he, she says that he collected robots and he was behind a screen and she was, he was a robot and he was... But here they have, they do finally have a connection. Yeah. Um, and they really, and they will be fine. I don't have a lot more to say. That's why. No, I like that interpretation. And then the final song is Happy Jack. Again. Again. Yeah. And the words to Happy Jack like, I talked about Happy Jack tons in the first episode of this show, but Happy Jack by The Who um, starts out, Happy Jack wasn't old, but he was a man. That's the first line. Hmm. Uh, and we have David, who wasn't old because he's a baby again, mm-hmm. but he was a man because it's grown-up David who's being baby David again. Yeah, exactly. I think, like, that's ridiculously fitting, actually. Yeah. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a baby. Like. Yep. Yep. That's what he does. And that's the end. And that's the end of the show. Well, I mean, that's the end of the series and the season. We are going to, as we mentioned earlier, going to do two more episodes. One, one about the entire season, one about the entire series. That may be even broken up because sometimes we go on for way too long. Um, Lies. Never. <laughs> we'd love to hear more feedback. More feedback on the series. More feedback on the season. We've gotten a few emails and we'll maybe talk about those. Um, even if you're once again hearing this years in the future. I know that some people are catching, kind of catching up with this podcast right now. And they haven't caught up with us here. They'll be with us in a few months or whatever. Still send us stuff. We still want to hear. We still want to. We'll engage back and, yeah. Yeah, and we'd love to hear. We'd what love you, to hear more things think. about Legion. Yep, and I could discuss Legion for probably ever. I'm probably <laughs> gonna watch the at least the first season again soon because I'm feeling like I'm forgetting some things and I want to re-watch it. Which yeah, is bananas. Don't you think we want to watch the entire series again before we talk about the series? Mm, maybe I don't think I have time, but. <laughs> 
It's awfully tempting. Definitely consider it. All right. So if you want to talk to us, you can find us on Twitter at ClockworksCast. You can find us by sending us an email, clockworkscast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Reddit and Instagram. Search for us there or follow the links. If you like this show, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And if you want other people to hear this show, which would be great and we would love that and you, tell them about it and rate us and review us so that other people, when they're looking for stuff, find us. And, uh... Despite the fact that this show is ending, Legion the Show and Legion the Podcast is going to be ending, we are still on Patreon because we will hopefully be doing other podcasts in the future. So if you like the sound of our voice and like possibly us doing other things, stick with us on Patreon and you'll find out more. That's right. So, for not the last time, because we'll be back two more times, but for almost the last time, I've been Paul Moffat. <laughs> I've been Jan Moffat. Goodbye. Goodbye.